0: What culture! culture? It's Cultured Hollywood for smart people for Tuesday, September 10th, 2019. That opening soundbite, courtesy of Adam Hall. He asked for it, I gave it to him. Of course, that is me expressing my dismay with the New York Jets organization in quite a lively fashion, announcing my retirement from Jets fandom. Listen to this week's episode of The Nico Show for more, but we're not here to talk about that. What culture, you ask? Pop culture, movies, television, music, so much more. We're talking about them in a way that smart people can enjoy. That's what we do on this podcast. Welcome back. Let's get started with this Apple announcement. I was waiting a few hours because I knew the Apple Corporation had something up their sleeve. They had scheduled an announcement. And of course, we all know what that means. New iPhones coming out with three cameras in them. Y'all, I want to know the asshole. It's like, you know, this single camera iPhone just ain't doing it for me. I need three cameras on the back of my iPhone. Like one of the creatures from Monsters, Inc. Like I'm in Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth. This thing looks so creepy. Have you seen the triple camera iPhone? It's so tacky looking. You see the back of it? It looks like a regular iPhone. And then you get to that top left-hand corner. And it's like, whoa! My iPhone has genital warts. Three massive lenses in the back of the iPhone 11. I don't get it. Gone are the days of Steve Jobs' sleek technology designs. Three cameras on the back of the iPhone. Regular telephoto lens, wide lens, and ultra-wide lens. I'll get it. Whatever. Fine. We're not here to talk about the iPhone today, though. Nor are we here to talk about... Apple Arcade, the Apple Watch, the new iPad with iPad OS. Nah, we're here to talk about Apple's descent into the content creation game, Apple TV+. The announcement is finally here. We had been teased with this news for quite some time. In fact, back in March, Apple first debuted the name of its streaming platform with a few shows that would most likely populate the service. Now we're here, we have a launch date, we have a price, and those are November 1st and $4.99 respectively. So what's so interesting about this news? Well, November 1st is not that far away. In fact, it's less than two months until Apple TV Plus hits an iPad, iPhone, or television set near you. Also, that price point, $4.99, wee that's a sexy-ass number. That is a nice price point you got there. Less than $5 to watch Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston deliver the news on a weekly basis? Steal. Take my money now. Here's what I think. This seems like a very calculated play to one-up the Disney Corporation. This is an effort to undermine the Disney Plus platform which if you recall, is debuting two weeks after Apple TV Plus, November 12th. So there's demerit number one for Disney Plus. Demerit number two, that price point. Disney Plus, when it launches, will be charging $7 a month per subscription. So unless you got in early, got the three-year Disney fan club deal, you'll be paying an extra $2 a month for your Disney subscription, as opposed to your Apple subscription. So you get in early, you get in cheaper, and the third part of this announcement is that if you buy an iPhone, iPad, or MacBook in the next year, you'll get a free year of Apple TV Plus. So they'll just sort of bundle you in, they'll use the platform to help promote the physical products, and the physical products to launch the platform. So, yeah. Seems like a calculated play to steal Disney's thunder. Now, here's the weird thing about this upcoming battle. I guess the trades are calling it the streaming wars. So let's call it that. Here's the weird thing about this particular streaming war. These two corporations, Disney and Apple, have been pitted against one another for no good reason other than they have a lot of money and they're debuting streaming platforms around the same time. Other than that, It feels like they're aimed at different audiences, Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus, like with the Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell thing. It looks like they're going for a very specific adult audience that's interested in dramedies about workplace sexual harassment. And (laughs) that feels starkly different than what Disney Plus is doing with The Mandalorian and WandaVision, and the Hawkeye sequel. You know what I mean? Disney is very specifically aimed at the PG-13 audience. Older kids that really like superheroes in Star Wars, and young adults that are reliving their glory days. You know, it's mostly family-friendly entertainment. I don't think there's going to be any R-rated films on the Disney Plus platform, although there are a few in the Disney library. I'm also fairly certain none of these television shows will feature copious amounts of violence or swearing or certainly nudity. Apple TV Plus seems like it's dancing around that edge. There will be some children's programming and we'll talk about the upcoming slate in just a second. But feels kind of weird that they're eating into one another because if you're going to sign up for Apple TV Plus, that means you're interested in the programming. It's all about the talent associated with the programming. If you're interested in Disney Plus, It's most likely that you're a parent that wants to save money on their cable subscription. So let's buy the rights to stream Lady and the Tramp and the Jungle Book and the Lion King over and over again. You know what I mean? They feel like drastically different audiences. Also, that $4.99 price point seems pretty sweet until you realize what you're paying for. Like, Disney Plus has the entire Disney vault at its disposal. You'll get every animated film since the 1930s available to stream whenever you want. Every film in the Marvel series. Every film in the Star Wars series. Every episode of The Simpsons. Various other properties from 20th Century Fox. Apple TV has like five TV shows. And they're going to debut once a week. So if you're interested in the Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston thing, well, it's, I suppose, worth the money. But let's go down the list because Apple, I think, has made it clear they have no interest in licensing other properties. They're not going to try to be a Netflix or Hulu or Amazon, buying up a bunch of independent films or buying up the catalog of certain studios it's none of that. It's it's fully original programming. Here is the list: every Apple TV original show that will be available at launch. The Morning Show, as we've talked about various times. C. This thing called C. It's described as an epic drama starring Jason Momoa and Alfre Woodard, set in 600 years in the future after a virus has decimated humankind and rendered the remaining population blind. When all humanity has lost the sense of sight, humans must adapt and find new ways to survive. Uh, sounds pretty cool. That trailer looked like a million bucks. Seems like a big sci-fi fantasy push in the realm of Game of Thrones, and it stars one of the stars of Game of Thrones, but doesn't necessarily have the star power or flash or, like, talent that The Morning Show does. I mean, it's got a high profile director in Francis Lawrence, who did the Hunger Games series. And Stephen Knight is the head writer coming straight off of Serenity, <laughs> starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, one of the worst movies of the year. I mean, I guess I'll give it an episode or two, but really? That's what you've got to offer? It's called C. Then we have Dickinson which is an Emily Dickinson biopic of sorts. It's kind of like a fictionalized version of Emily Dickinson. Uh, I'll read the description here. Emily Dickinson celebrated American poet and sexually fluid iconoclast with a vocabulary borrowed from clueless? Question mark That's how Dickinson, <laughs> Dickinson <laughs> imagines the death-obsessed writer. And for star Haley Stein- Steinfeld, it's in perfect step with Emily- Emily's essence. She didn't belong in that time. She had a very modern way of thinking and acting. Uh, The creator of the show, Elena Smith, says, this show is up to something a bit bigger than just being a Dickensian biopic. It's using the 1950s as a distorted lens for our world today. Young people today feel a sense of doom, similar to what someone in the uh, oncoming of the Civil War might have felt. Turns out, existential dread never goes out of style yeah this trailer had like rap music in the background um quite a choice again I don't know if it's as splashy as the morning show I don't think it's as splashy of a series as the Mandalorian but uh Dickinson starring Hanley Steinfeld another show on the Apple platform for all mankind starring the great Joel Kinnaman who has been in more <laughs> failed one-off dramas than i can remember has any tv actor been in more one season television shows than joel kinnaman i see him all the time new netflix series new amazon series canceled after the first season anyway he's giving it another go on apple tv plus imagine a world where the soviet union beat the u.s to the moon and the space race continued for decades we're starting with how history changes, says Ronald D. Moore, who created this alternative history drama. We jump months, sometimes years, and you'll see the ripple effects. We pull out of Vietnam earlier. Nixon goes in hard on the space program. There's also a moon station, but it's not sci-fi. The world is real, says Joel Kinnaman, who stars as an astronaut in the television show. Here's the quote. This thing just floored me. Get this. It feels like this madman world... But where it all keeps expanding, I've never been part of anything so well written. Woo! For all mankind. Congratulations, Apple. You have suckered in exactly one person to your streaming platform, and that's Nico DiGregorio. <laughs> Again, you can't compete with Disney with something like this alternative history drama starring Joel Kinnaman in the vein of Mad Men. But I don't know. I'm in for all mankind. Wow. Uh, And then we have Snoopy in space. I'm not making this up. Charlie Brown and the Peanuts crew take command of the International Space Station and explore the moon and beyond. Helpsters, that's another show. A new children's series from the makers of Sesame Street stars Cody and a team of vibrant monsters who love to help solve problems. It all starts with a plan. Ghostwriter, a reinvention of the beloved original series follows four kids who are brought together by a mysterious ghost in a neighborhood bookstore and must team up to release fictional characters from works of literature. The Elephant Queen, An acclaimed documentary film and cinematic love letter to a species on the verge of extinction follows a majestic matriarchal elephant and her herd on an epic journey of life, loss, and homecoming. And then, I guess, some shit from Oprah. Uh, So that's what's available November 1st. You're paying five bucks a month for maybe three shows you're interested in. At most. There's no way – the Venn diagram does not overlap for anyone. There's no way anyone is interested in five or more television shows from Apple TV+. I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have gone that way. If I'm Apple – I mean, obviously, the idea is to integrate the software with the hardware. So this is more about producing content to be played on iPhones – That's where Apple makes its money. That's the bread and butter. So if this is a way to sell new iPhones, it's a success. I'm not sure how many subscribers they plan to get right off the gate at the $4.99 price point. Maybe they're five steps ahead of me in that department. I just think as a competitor to Netflix, as a competitor to Amazon, as a competitor to Disney+, this feels underwhelming feels underwhelming. On the surface, wow, look at all this money. Look at all the star power Apple has in its corner. Steven Spielberg is working on a TV show. Steve Carell is going to be on a TV show. Oprah Winfrey is working on several documentary films. On the surface, seems like a good play, good price point, good launch date. I just don't know if this is going to be one of the tentpole Streaming platforms, if this is going to be one of the big five, one of the Mount Rushmore companies, I think Disney is well on its way to achieving that goal. I think Disney tomorrow could pose a serious threat to Netflix, Amazon and uh, whatever. else. I mean, Hulu, I guess, is now owned by Disney. But it feels like Disney Plus comes out tomorrow. It instantly becomes part of your cable bill instantly becomes part of your media consumption. Apple TV feels like a supplementary product. It feels like a nice prestige play. It diversifies the Apple portfolio. Uh, It gets into the content creation game, even though they're not a content company. Eh, I could see myself canceling. Like I could sign up for Apple TV Plus because really with their, their strategy, they plan on suckering you in With their original programming. If I watch the first three episodes of C, The Morning Show, and Dickinson. And I guess for all mankind. And I'm not impressed with any of them. I'll cancel. I have nothing to lose. So I guess the play is sell the iPhones. Get the free subscriptions. Do a Apple Music sort of thing. Which is you have the device. You have the hardware you might as well sign up for the software along with it because it's so convenient. It's on your phone, it's on your iPad, it's on your TV already. Okay, maybe. As far as content, as far as a library, as far as a threat to Disney, I don't see much here. I'm underwhelmed. That's the truth of it. For all mankind, though. Uh. How about Kinnaman, though? Bro, y'all can keep your Emily Dickinson teen angsty drama. Give me some Kinnaman in space. Give me Mad Men, but NASA edition. Yes, it's what I've been waiting for. Apple TV Plus, I'm sure we'll be speaking about it more as November rapidly approaches. And by the way, there were a number of shows that have been announced. Uh, I don't know if there have been trailers yet, but we know a lot about some upcoming TV shows like Truth Be Told, which stars Octavia Spencer and Aaron Paul. Uh, It's described as a crime drama centered on the ripple effects in families when they're touched by crime. The drama follows a journalist revisiting a decades-old murder and the wounds that are reopened for all involved. Octavia Spencer says about her character that she has to examine if she put an innocent boy in prison. We're exploring the consequences when the pursuit of justice is on a public stage. So that is coming sometime in December. And this show, Servant, when Tony Gasgallop pitched M. Night Shyamalan, this psychological thriller about parents who hire some help, the EP couldn't resist. What's unusual is it's set in one location. It's the perfect setting for paranoia, says Shyamalan, who also couldn't resist hiring Harry Potter's Rupert Grint as the mysterious Julian Pierce. He's a truly gifted actor, he says, on The Former Child Star. These four actors are in this almost play-like show. They all buzz with energy. So M. Night Shyamalan, Octavia Spencer, Aaron Paul, Rupert Grint, all coming to Apple uh, Apple TV Plus as well. So jury's still out. We shall see. Let's take a break. When we come back... More from the world of popular culture, including a review of a new record I listened to. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of music these days, delving headfirst into some playlists. We're going to talk about one of these new albums just released this week. After the break, stick around. It's Culture! All right, I got to admit, I knew the name Lana Del Rey before this week. In fact, it's one of those names I've heard so often. I assumed I knew a lot about her. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, she's just brought up so often in cultural conversation that I just assumed, oh yeah, I could name like five Lana Del Rey songs. Um, But what I quickly realized this week is I knew jack shit about Lana Del Rey until like two days ago. Like, I went through her Spotify. What I realized is that I was getting her confused with Florence and the Machine, which is a band, not a solo artist. But for some reason, those two are in my head right next to each other. And so I started listening to this new Lana Del Rey record called Norman Fucking Rockwell, uh, just released this past week to rave reviews. I started listening to it, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not the chick that sings Dog Days Are Over. (laughs) she's way too normal sounding on this record what's happening um so i went back on spotify and i'm like what is the biggest lana del rey song and i guess it's this song national anthem from her album born to die in 2012 and i listened to it and i'm like oh yeah this song i hate this song i don't like loathe it i don't think it's like killing the culture but I hear it and I'm like, oh, Lana Del Rey is just another Ellie Goulding. She's just another Sia. It's just disposable, heavily synthesized pop anthems, right? And that's basically what Lana Del Rey is. In my very limited excavation of her history, what I found were totally fine, heavily synthesized, sort of uh, eerie and breathy pop tunes, but, like, not experimental and artsy enough to be fringe and to be really daring. It always felt like it was radio-safe music. Um, so, look, I'm sure people love Lana Del Rey. I didn't know what to expect going into Norman fucking Rockwell. All I knew is that this is the best work Lana Del Rey had ever done. It is in the running for one of the best records of the year. Listen to it right now. So, popped it in just yesterday. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get down to some Norman fucking Rockwell. And I, by the way, I love the track listings on this record. I listened top to bottom because I couldn't help myself. The title track, same as the album, Norman fucking Rockwell. Uh, Mariners, sorry. Yeah. Mariners Apartment Complex. Venice Bitch. These are real songs. Fuck It, I Love You. Doin' Time. Love Song. Cinnamon Girl. Not the Prince song. How to Disappear. California, The Next Best American Record, The Greatest, Bartender, Happiness is a Butterfly, and the final track, Hope is a Dangerous Thing for a Woman Like Me to Have, Dash, But I Have It. (laughs) So with a track list like that, how can you resist digging in and listening to the shit out of this thing? Um... Here's what I did not expect going into Norman fucking Rockwell. I did not expect to be an emotional wreck. Oh, my God. This record just moved the shit out of me. Whoa. (laughs) This thing just knocked me over. This just, I was immersed in it like a tsunami. Just wash away. Carry me in the riptide. Bring me out to sea. I I am in. I am bought it. Now, again, this is evidently the best record of her career. This is, like, next-level shit at Alana Del Rey. It's going to be nominated for Grammys. And, uh, you know, most agree, this is it for her. This is probably going to be the pinnacle of her career. Um... So, I don't know if this is necessarily an indication of the rest of her work, or if I like this, I'll like her previous records. But my God, this album spoke to me. (laughs) These themes of like neuroses and melancholy and just sorrow and despair. It's like such a truthful album, but it's not like all breakup music, you know? It's not like Lorde's last album. And I really like Lorde's last album. By the way, like I think I've said this on the podcast before. A little unknown fun fact about me. Melancholy, angsty Starbucks music is kind of my jam. Yeah, it's just a dirty little secret. Like, shit like this it tugs at the heartstrings. If it's available at Starbucks... And by the way, you got to like soak this thing in dread. You have to bury me in dread. There cannot be a, a hint of optimism in these albums. But if you give me like a breathy, atmospheric, just slog of a record, but it's sung by a young woman and it's available at Starbucks, I'll give you a peek. I'll give you a sample. You have three tracks to impress me so you know this is the only reason why I listen to this album normally I would just be like oh you freaking 19 year old girls get over your high school boyfriend you're in college now you're an adult it was never gonna work long distance now I'm like uh, eh. you know Lana it really is <laughs> tough out there for a woman <laughs> douchebags am I right oh guys could be so cruel it works. Occasionally on me, it'll work. In this case, it worked. Um This thing, at first, you listen to, like, the first three tracks and you're like, ah, it's really good. Like, the lyrics here are quite moving and quite beautiful, and she definitely has a clear voice and a clear point of view. Evidently, Lana Del Rey is a big poet on the side, so uh, you know, it cuts to the core. This is not generic pop music. You can tell something different is happening lyrically, And then you start to dig in and it's like, oh, all piano ballads? Like, that's what we're doing here? Like, can I get a key change every now and again? Can we kick it up to height? Can I get just something? Can we take it out of 4-4 time just once? (laughs) So at first you're like, oh, this album might be a bit of an emotional slog. I don't think I have an hour of this in me. It's very dour. It's very slow. It's very minimalist. But as you let the record work on you, as you let it do its thing, and you let it take you over, immerse you like a disease, you start to fall into its rhythm, you know? It really does have this hypnotic effect on you. I couldn't stop listening. I couldn't get out. And some of these songs are very long, by the way. This song Venice, bitch, is like eight minutes. It's, it's, not, like a, it's not like Stairway to Heaven, you know? <laughs> it doesn't have a, hot, a lot of highs and lows. It's very plateau. It's very just in the pocket all the time. And it doesn't leave that pocket all too much. It doesn't really uh, get outside the box or refrain from the mean. But it works. It works because it's so authentic. It really is an emotionally stirring record. I was I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away by how moving it was and what an intimate portrait of a young woman it was. Uh, that title track, Norman fucking Rockwell, is I just think one of my favorite ballads of the last 10 years. And we don't have many of those. We just don't. We don't have many girl at a piano ballads anymore. It doesn't happen. Uh, certainly not in mainstream popular music. Certainly not getting a lot of radio play. But... Uh, this song gets there. The, the final song on the record, Hope is a Dangerous Thing for a Woman Like Me to Have, but I have it. Also pretty damn good. Uh, and by the way, it does, get, it does get a little synthy towards the middle, for sure. Uh, California and the next best American record are pretty straight down the middle pop tunes, but they have this undercurrent of neuroses and dread and uh, this fish out of water quality. I really related to some of these as a young man uh, that, you know, doesn't really think about heartbreak all that much. This (laughs) and I wouldn't consider myself particularly neurotic. This spoke to me in such a surprising way. Lana Del Rey. Again, I have no idea if I should dig back into her discography. I I don't know. I imagine it. There's not much for me there. And on, on the surface, there wouldn't be much for me here. But there was. I think this is my album of the year. It's either this or Billie Eilish, I think. Yeah, I think that's it. There's nothing else, because there have been no good uh, rap records, really. Kendrick didn't put anything out, and uh, I guess Drake put something out recently, but that was just like a bunch of B-sides, essentially. Well, Kanye, I guess this is the news, too, broke on Twitter. I think this is about a week and a half ago. Kim K tweeted out the new track list for the Kanye record. I guess Kanye's doing all gospel now. Is that right? So Yandy is now dead. And uh let me see. What is this what is this new record called? Um let's see. Uh Jesus is King. Yes. Jesus is king september 27 2019 so i will withhold my uh my best album of the year crown the jury is still out until kanye is spoken the defense will not rest so let's wait let's see what kanye has in store but it's been a abnormally weak uh music year i mean old town road just dominated the charts for like 4 months and that's a song by a random soundcloud rapper and now the biggest song in the country is Truth Hurts. This song by Lizzo, who I was introduced to at the VMAs two weeks ago, which evidently was released two years ago. So the chart is currently the Billboard Top 100 chart. Let me pull it up right now. Hold on. Billboard Top 100. So Truth Hurts by Lizzo, number one song in the country, two years old. Senorita with Sean Mendez and Camila Cabello. Bad Guy, which came out like five months ago. Old Town Road, which came out like a year ago. Ransom by Lil Tecca. Yikes. It's been a week here. Post Malone is out with some new shit. Apparently it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's Billy Eilish and Lana Del Rey. It's a, it's a Lana Del Rey type of year for Nico, you know? <laughs> the only two records that spoke to me. I'll tell you what though, "Bad Guy" is still a jam. Oh my god, that beat is so sick! It's the sickest beat since like "California Love." (laughs) I love that song. Can you tell I'm out of touch with the music industry? Can you tell I've been listening to The Beatles' "Revolver" on loop for the last week? Is it that obvious? Yeah, I'm. I'm. uh... I'm going through some real, like, 60s rock phases. Yeah, I'm really digging into the British invasion these days. And uh, I'm happy about it. I'm happy to be living in 1969 again. Because it's a lot more fun than now. At least it seemed that way. All right, I need to take another break. Uh, Not much more in the world of pop culture, but we'll get to some little tidbits. After this, stick around. Cultured's coming right back. All right, like I said, I'm going to try to keep this brief because I do not want to bore you with the minutia of Oscar season. Lord knows we did enough of that last week, and it's only going to get worse as the Academy Awards approaches. I am only going to become more insufferable as the months go on. So for now, I'm just going to mention as briefly as I can that Joker is going to break the Oscars. And I just think that's worth noting. Joker is going to break the Oscars. In fact, it may just break Hollywood. Nay, it may break the internet at large. This film is coming, and it is not going to make its arrival quietly. Oh, boy. Buckle in for the fireworks. So, here's what happened, right? We are in the midst of festival season. This is about the time, the beginning of September, where the studios bring their Oscar hopefuls to various film festivals around the world. We talked about this last week. Telluride uh, took place a week ago. The Venice Film Festival just wrapped up overseas. And as we speak, the Toronto International Film Festival, the biggest film festival in North America, is in full swing. So this is the beginning of the race. We're here. These festivals have a way of separating the contenders from the pretenders. Of course, a lot can change between now and February, but whatever happens in the next few weeks, based on the response you see out of Venice, out of Toronto, we're going to have a good idea who these Best Picture nominees are going to be. And so the big headline coming out of Venice this weekend is that Joker is poised for a hell of an Oscar campaign. The big award presented at the end of the Venice Film Festival is called the Golden Lion. Now, if you look at the last 20 years of Golden Lion winners, you don't see many recognizable films. In many cases, they're foreign films. For example, in 2016, the Golden Lion was awarded to The Woman Who Left out of the Philippines. The year before that was From Afar, a movie out of Venezuela. So it's an international film festival festival you see a lot of diversity in the Golden Lion winners. But over the past two years, it's been interesting. I wouldn't necessarily call it a pattern, but it's a pretty good indicator you had some serious Oscar contenders taking home the Golden Lion. In 2017, it was The Shape of Water, the Guillermo del Toro movie that ultimately won Best Picture. And last year, it was Roma, Alfonso Cuaron's movie, which did very well at the Oscars, was the favorite for Best Picture, ultimately lost to green book joker won that award it took home the golden lion this year in venice doesn't seem like a movie that screams venice international film festival doesn't seem like the type of film that would fare well for an award like this but it won critics foreign critics responded very well to todd phillips joker A DC comic book movie about a Batman villain. Wow. This almost certainly assures that Joker is going to get nominated for Best Picture. Not only that, we have coming up this week, out of the Toronto International Film Festival, this thing called the Audience Prize. The People's Choice Award. Toronto International Film Festival's People's Choice Award is a big indicator of the Oscar race. Let's look at the last 10 years of winners. 2018, Green Book won Best Picture. 2017, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Nominated for Best Picture, considered a Best Picture favorite at the time. Same for La La Land, which won in 2016. Room in 2015, The Imitation Game in 2014. 12 Years a Slave in 2013 won Best Picture. Silver Linings Playbook in 2012, Where Do We Go Now in 2011 didn't really do anything. And The King's Speech in 2010 won Best Picture. So nine out of 10 of these films, do we have 10 or at least eight out of nine of these films were nominated for Best Picture. Several of them won the award. Joker is poised to be the favorite here. I would be very surprised if Joker did not take home the People's Choice Award in Toronto this week. It's a crowd-pleasing movie. It's a mainstream movie. Very much like Green Book, it's down the middle of the road, it's gonna make a lot of money at the box office, it's accessible, and the reviews have been nothing but positive. Rave reviews for Joker out of Toronto similar to Venice. This is it, man. This feels like the movie that elevates the superhero genre to the next level. Now, I know what you're thinking. Black Panther was just nominated for Best Picture last year. That, to me, although significant, didn't feel as significant as this. Like, obviously, Black Panther, a very popular movie, did well at the box office, did well with critics, respected by industry people, won a lot of technical awards, was never a serious contender for Best Picture. It felt like that nomination was a tip of the cap to something socially progressive, of the time sort of felt like the academy was putting on the backwards hat trying to hang out with his fellow kids. You know what I mean, felt like a last gasp at relevancy for the academy awards. Joker debuts at film festivals before going wide has de Niro in it uh feels like a Scorsese movie. Joaquin Phoenix is getting best actor buzz The rollout is a lot more traditional. Black Panther was a $600 million Marvel movie and was treated as such at the Oscars. Joker is coming down to the Academy's level. They're like, we're going to play your game. Joaquin is going to go balls to the wall looking for a Best Actor award. Todd Phillips is going to direct the shit out of this thing. It's an art house film. It's in the spirit of Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. This is Oscar Gold. It just so happens to star a comic book character. So this feels significant. It's going to get nominated for Best Picture. We're going to talk about it as a Best Picture frontrunner. Joaquin is going to be in that conversation. And folks, I'm not sure I'm ready for it. Because I've already seen the backlash. I think I touched on this last week as well. So many negative reviews of this movie. Sure, it's well made but the, re- the morality is quite devious. It's a pro-in-cell movie. Huh? Huh? We're doing this already? Doesn't it feel like this is where it's going? I mean, if you need any more evidence that this thing's gonna get nominated for Best Picture, we already have a socially divisive issue underneath the surface. Feels like we're about to light a powder keg, doesn't it? uh i'm not ready i'm not ready to have to enjoy this movie go on twitter enjoy this movie express my enjoyment for the movie and then have to read hundreds of thousands of think pieces talking about how this movie uh uh is in some way supportive of the trump administration not ready for it folks watch taxi driver watch king of comedy Those movies are about incels. They weren't called incels at the time, but Travis Bickle wasn't getting a lot of sex back in the day. By no means is Taxi Driver pro-incel. No no way is Taxi Driver pro-misogyny, pro-violence against women, pro-sexual deviance. Come on, y'all. Come on. You can make a movie without a bad guy without endorsing his ideology. Stop it. It's a pro-incel movie. Of course, I haven't seen the movie yet. Probably should see it before I comment on the thematic implications of Joker. But I just want to let you know, that's where we're going. Buckle in. Get ready. If you don't have the heart, if you're not ready to fight this culture war with me, get out now. This is your final chance to get off the ride. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to touch on this week is that it chapter two did remarkably well at the box office. And I guess this shouldn't be a surprise because it chapter one was the highest grossing horror movie of all time. It chapter two, $91 million at the domestic box office, 185 worldwide. It, uh, trailed the original it movie, which grossed $123 million in its opening 189 worldwide and uh, did not do as well. Critically, many are blaming the very long runtime for the, uh, the diminished returns still did very well though. This franchise has legs. I would not be shocked if it chapter three came to a theater near you. They're already talking about it. Wouldn't shock me. Although they've now uh, surpassed the timeline of Stephen King's novels. Also, I haven't seen it chapter two yet. Let me get that out on Front Street. That, that runtime was just not appealing to me. I was actually interested in an It sequel with Bill Hader and Jessica Chastain, but two hours, 49 minutes, yikes. Yeah, I'll, I'll catch it on, on demand and I'll watch it in two sittings. I think that's what I'm going with there. Uh, I think what's more likely though than an It chapter two uh, is a shit ton of Stephen King adaptations. I think ultimately that's where we're going. We're doing the Shining sequel, Dr. Sleep, in a few months. Netflix has already done a number of Stephen King adaptations. I think just today a new Stephen King adaptation was announced. The Institute, uh, which is uh, the new novel from Stephen King, just released not too long ago. Or actually, no, it has not been released yet. will be coming to TV from David E. Kelly and Jack Bender just announced today. So it' about to be Stephen King's season again. In case you want more, in case you want more creepy clowns and prison breaks, I have a feeling a number of Stephen King novels you never even heard of will be coming to a television set or a big screen near you. It chapter two. Unbelievable. That franchise uh, doing gangbusters, doing business at the box office. Good for Bill Hader and Chastain. That's it. I love you. Come back next week. You know you always do. Check out the website too manythoughtsmedia.com or tmt.media for more. Listen to Why Is This a Thing with Rob from Two Cents Radio talking Twister. That's available tomorrow on your podcast feeds. Movie Hall of Fame forthcoming. Listen to me yell about the Jets on the Nico Show this week, just released yesterday. And just follow us on social media at tmt underscore media on Twitter or too manythoughtsmedia.com on Instagram. A Facebook like would go a long way, too. You can find all the links on the website, tmt.media. Y'all the best. I hope you come back because you know what happens then. Next week on this program, it's your only chance. You and I, we're going to get culture.